Don't tell your children lies. Okay, Luke 21. Today, we're going to look at this together. Okay, here's a question. Um, how Can you remember how old you were when you had your first meaningful discussion about money with someone? A conversation with someone like a, your mother, your father, um, you know, something significant about money. How old were you? Can you remember? Remember a conversation? Any of us? No? Yeah. 14. You're 14, yeah. teenager? I did a part-time job and when I got home with my first salary, my dad took a third of it and said that to be a lodging. <laughs> wow, and, and, he, and he continued that. That's teaching you a lesson in life. Teaching you a lesson in life. I was going to say excellent. <laughs> I don't know if that was an excellent plan, the way he did it, but nonetheless, <coughs> I suppose we need to learn these lessons. Okay, thank you. 14, any advance on 14? Any, can you remember? Isn't it interesting? I think we're the slave labour on the allotments used to get like 16 per pound of black currency. So you, you have your dad's allotment? Yeah. Wow. Hey, Joe, you could earn some money. Excellent. Get some people in, you know. Yeah, you'd have to pay them. You'd have to pay them, but, but it could be worth it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yes. I don't remember how old I was, but when we were young, it was customary, if like all the people come to visit your family, like family friends, they would give you money. Yep. Oh. But you had to give it to your parents. Yeah. Oh. And my mum would always say, oh, I'm keeping it for you. <laughs> and then when you have an idea, you say, well, where's my money? And she's like, everything you've been eating all these days, what you've been wearing, where do you think it comes from? And she never gave it back to us. But she would always say, yeah, every all the food you've been eating, that's where your money is going. <laughs> <laughs> Another lesson in life. Yeah. Another life lesson, Dad. Remember in the 1980s, Cubs used to have badges. Okay. Cubs. Yeah. And one of the badges, I can't remember, it's called Entrepreneurship or something. And uh, they had this thing called Boba Job Week. Yes. Yeah. Boba Job, yes. We used to go, have to go around. Yeah. It was about maybe that, I was probably about 12, 11, 12. Yeah. I'd go around my neighbours and say, you've got jobs I can do for like, a bob. It's like 50p, maybe. Well, and, um, yeah, washing cars. We used to go and sell them a sticker because they were disturbed. <coughs> you remember a sticker? No, we used to sell them a sticker for 5p for a bob and then they weren't disturbed by the people coming around anymore. That's the first memory about earning money anyway. Earning? Yeah, yeah. I suppose it asking for my dad for money. <laughs> cool, Patricia. I think I was 16 because that was my first job. Um, I was determined if I was going to earn some money, so I went to a news agent at a news agent. That was my first proper job. There you go. I wanted to cut my parents out. <laughs> 16. Joe, you yeah? Um, I grew up uh, on a small holding, and my mum and dad had an average or decent sized swimming pool. It was about over 40 feet long. And I would go swimming every day. So my dad tried to encourage me, he said, I'll give you five cents for every length. So I only did a few, and then I started haggling with him, and I said, okay, well, I'll do eight. Eight cents per length, because I could only do a few, and then obviously I would just add the lengths to it so I can earn more money. So that's how I earned money from my dad. Last yeah. swimming, swimming. Last way a good day, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay, last one, and then. Um, so when I was in my final year of school, my dad said, you have to get a job during the summer holidays, and then he took half the money. <laughs> Oh, so is your dad keeping that for you? Driving lessons, sorry. No. <laughs> no, definitely not doing that. 
We have interesting experiences, don't we, when it comes to money. Money is a funny topic to talk about, and we're going to take we're going to take the plunge and talk about money today. I remember my first conversation, proper conversation about money, very vividly. Um, I'd gone to university. I got my grant. In those days, some of us may remember, you got a grant. You got money from the government. I know this is uh, difficult to believe, but I got my money from the government and I, I spent the whole year's money in about eight weeks. Yeah, I was going for it, I was going for it. Guinness World Book of Records. No, I spent it all on beer, basically. Uh, it wasn't wasted then. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Uh, so I came home that Christmas, broke, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to tell my dad because my father is brilliant with money. I mean, he's just amazing, and he did a, a degree in economics at Cambridge University. So let's just say he's good with, with money. Um, so I didn't want to tell him, but he could tell. You know how dads sometimes can just tell. So he sat me down, and I still remember the room, where I sat, where he sat, how I felt. 30, um, how many years ago now? 30 something years ago, right? I remember, and he sat me down, he said, uh, how's, how's things going with your money, your finances? And I said, well, uh, not, not very well, actually. And so then we had a conversation, and he said, well, what's the money all been spent? I said, I've got none left. He said, I said, what did you spend it on? I said, well, you know, having fun, going out, you know, basically on beer. And he said, oh. And then to cut the long story short, he asked me a very pertinent question. He said, when you go to the pub with your friends, who buys the first round? I said, well, I do. He said, oh. And do your friends always buy a round as well? I said, well, not always. And do you sometimes buy a second round? I said, well, sometimes. He said, well, who buys the first, second round? I said, well, I do. He said, well, therein lies your problem. And it was an interesting very helpful discussion because not so much just that it was a practical thing about money, but that it began to give me insight into how I thought about money, how I used it. That of course essentially I was buying friends. I wanted to buy that first round because I wanted people to like me. And I would buy the second one because I wanted people to still like me and stick around and be and hang out with me because I was lonely and I wasn't really a people person. So that was my way of coping. So it, it wasn't really about money. The conversation was really about me and learning about myself. And so I'm hoping that as we look at this passage today, we'll understand a bit better about how to use God's money that he's given us, but also we'll learn about our own perspectives on, on money. That would be helpful to us. So that's what we're going to do uh, today. Um, the next thing we need to do then is to... Uh, read the passage. Now, what I'd like to ask is if we could read it in two or three different translations. So, could someone read us? Well, it's Luke 21, 1 to 4. The NIV says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, 
put in all she had to live on. Let's do the good news first. Jesus looked around and saw rich people dropping their gifts in the temple treasury, and he also saw a very poor widow dropping in two little copper coins. He said, I tell you that this poor widow put in more than all the others. But the others offered their gifts from what they had to spare, their riches, but she, poor as she is, gave all she had to live on. Thanks. And the message. Uh, just then he looked up and saw the rich people dropping offerings in the collection plate, and he saw a poor woman, poor old widow, put in two pennies. He said, the plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offerings today. All these others made offerings that they never that they ever missed. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. She gave her all. I like that summary phrase there. So what are we going to learn from this? So I've got two sections to what I would like to share today, and one is about the passage, and then one is about kind of uh, the rest of the Bible's teaching on these kinds of issues to give us a, a biblical perspective on how we might think about using our money and possessions. <coughs> so the widow first. So uh, just before this in Luke 20, uh, and I don't remember, don't know if you covered this exactly today in your sermon last week, not being here. Thank you for preaching. Thank you. Um, and you're on the rotor now. So. <laughs> uh, because the reports came back positive, you know, otherwise. So. Um, uh, just before this, in Luke 20, verse 47, it talks about the teachers of the law being those who devour widows' houses. So we have that saying, and then we have this about a widow's idea. It's very interesting. And it's all taking place in the temple court. So Jesus has been standing and teaching. In the parallel passages in Mark, we see that he's standing and teaching, and then he sits down. So it's in the context of him having sat down, that he's uh, observing <coughs> these things. It's Passover week, which means that Jerusalem is filled to bursting with people and there are crowds everywhere. So Jerusalem, again, I did look this up, but I've forgotten at the moment, the, the population of Jerusalem, uh, let me just give you a, a number out, you know, out there, say 100,000 people normally. In Passover week, it would be double, triple, quadruple that. So if Watford's 100,000 people, roughly, it would be like having 300,000 or 400,000 people in Watford. Imagine trying to shop and walk up and down the high street. That's what it was like at this time. So that's what you've got here. Now you have in front of you here 14, 13 of our best mugs. Some of them are nice anyway, including my Luton Town mug. So there you go. Um, 13 mugs, and those are there to represent the receptacles that there would have been in the temple. There were 13 sort of trumpet-shaped, you know, sort of a, the bell of a trumpet. And then you have this open air at the top, and then it curves down. Well, like, there would be 13 receptacles like that, very large, and people put their money in when they came to the temple. And um, they would put it in, another translation of the word is to throw it in, um, it wouldn't have been thrown in carelessly, but what that means is it was coins. And people were th putting it in, throwing it in, and it hit the metal sides and it was clanging. So you've got this crowd, you've got this clanging noise, and the 13 receptacles uh, designated were designated as different ways in which the temple could spend the money. 
So they were for different reasons. And we don't have a record uh, biblically of what those were, but we do know that that was the case. So it might have been one was for benevolence, one might have been for temple upkeep, one might have been for looking after the priests, one might have been, you know, so that, and when you went along, you could say, I want to give this for this, and you put it in that receptacle, or you could split it. And you tell the priest, so there was a priest standing by each one, and he said, this is for this, and this is how much it is. And you said it out loud, and everybody could hear which is why Jesus is able to, to know exactly what's happening with the widow. She turned up, and whichever receptacle she chose, she said, I want to put it in here. I have two copper coins. Lepta is the Greek word. And then she'd have put them in. And you can imagine that you've got this clanging of all the rich people putting in large amounts, and you've got this little tinkle, ding, ding, of these two coins going in. It would have been very distinctive and different. Perhaps Jesus was sitting next to that particular, or very near that particular receptacle. We're not quite sure. So that's what's going on. I brought with me, just for illustration purposes, some ancient coins to give you an idea. Um, this is a one from the time of Constantine, about 300 years later. Um, apparently it's genuine. That's what the certificate says. That's uh, from that period. I could go around. Um, and this is another one from the same period that Douglas Jacobi gave me. It cost him £16. It says on there, but it is from that period it's been discovered. It's from the time of Constantine the Great, 307 to 337 AD. So it's not, a, not exactly like the one we're talking about, but something similar. And these are denarii uh, with the heads of different uh, Roman emperors on, which are uh, similar in, in a sense, in the size and that kind of thing. So they can go that way. There you go. So lepta. Lepta were copper coins. It's the only time they're mentioned in the, in the Bible here. They are the smallest of all Jewish coins. So our smallest coin now is a 1p piece, right? So it would have been the equivalent of that. Um, it's a, a fraction of a day's wage. So it's not even uh, as much as you'd earn in a day. It's a very small amount. That's all she had to move on. Small little coins. So, um, a few points about this passage. Firstly, Jesus is, is obviously contrasting the giving of the rich with the giving of the widow. He doesn't say that the giving of the rich is a bad thing or there's anything wrong with what they're doing. He, but it does seem to be commending the woman. In the Greek, the word order is a bit different. It says, literally, having looked up, he saw the ones putting into the treasury the gifts of them, the wealthy. So he puts that word wealthy at the end of the sentence. Um, she is very poor. The word in the Greek is patoche, meaning abject poverty, utter destitution, poverty that is visible. You, you only have to look at her and she, you know she's poor. A poverty that forces people to beg to survive. So that's the level of her poverty. When we look at this passage, I've got a question for you, right? Go back and have a look at the passage. If you had to pick out one word that stood out to you, one word that you thought, that's surprising, or it is, uh, it, it stands out in some way. What, let's have a look at the passage again, just for a minute. Whatever translation you've got, have a look and see what word stands out. It says in verse 4 that the rich, the rich gave gifts, mm -hmm. but she gave everything. She did. One was a gift, one was mm -hmm. gift means it's. There's a difference between a gift and giving everything, isn't there? Huge difference. Yeah. Gift is something you can afford to give, yeah. by definition, in that sense. Yeah. Okay. 
truth. 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 I tell you the truth. A very formal saying for a rabbi to say, like this is this is really important. Thank you. Good. Anybody else? Stand down to for work. Stand up. To echo Dan's point, she put them all. All. She had to. Yeah. Powerful word, isn't it? Yeah. It's going on in Melbourne and Yemen, and now she doesn't even know what she's going to eat at practice. Like, mm-hmm. After giving that money. Yeah. yeah. Tell you, isn't it? You could argue it's Polly. Could you could argue it's Polly? Jesus doesn't call it that. But we only have a short record of what he said. <coughs> Any anything else? Any other words? Oh, there's a word. I don't know which version it said. Something it said. James, but she of her penury asked yeah. asked what does that mean? Poverty. Yeah. Poverty. Yeah. yeah. Same word for poverty. Out of her poverty. Out of her poverty. I think all these words are right and good. Uh, the word I'm going to emphasize um, is more. More. She gave more than all the others. See, I think if you were watching what happened, the treasury, all the rich putting in their vast amounts of money, and then you see the poor widow put in the two, and you hear Jesus say, she put in more, you think, hang on, hang on, no she did, she put in two tiny little coins, what are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. And to me, I think maybe, for me at least, that gets to the heart of what Jesus is talking about here, she gave more. I think that's very inspiring for us, when we think that we can't give very much either in monetary terms or in other ways, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But that's my word, for me anyway. That's the word that stands out for me. I think generally we tend to appreciate the amount of a gift, not necessarily the sacrifice that went into making it. I think when we become parents, we appreciate that a bit more. Your child, when they are young, gives you a splodge on a piece of paper as a gift, as a present, as a, as a birthday card, as a, as a picture, and you think it's the most wonderful thing, you, you swap it for the Mona Lisa any day, right? I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't keep the Mona Lisa, you'd be happy with the splodge. Um, because you know the effort that had to go into it, and it's meaningful because it's personal. But I, I don't know about you, when I was a kid, and it was Christmas time, I wanted the most expensive gift possible. I wasn't interested in how much sacrifice my parents made, I just wanted something really nice and expensive. So it, it's funny how we our, our value system gets a bit skewed, even as adults sometimes, and what we feel able to give. The, cat, the word here, all, is also very important, because what Jesus is saying, and it's not so clear in the English, when she says she put in more than all the others, um, he's saying her two coins were more valuable than the, the entire total sum of everything that everybody has given. It's not just individuals she's being compared with, but she's given more than everybody combined. So this is a, a big deal, obviously. Um, something's going on here that's very powerful. Um, generosity, when you see it, is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Last Sunday, as you know, I wasn't here, and I was preaching down at Wellington Country Park, the outdoor service of the Thames Valley Church. And I was making a point about treasure. And uh, before the service began, we, uh, before the church service began, we taped up some chocolate coins, big, big chocolate coins on the underside of, of chairs. Um, unfortunately, somewhat melted in the heat. <laughs> we won't quite anticipate that. But nonetheless, at a certain point in the lesson, I said, okay, pre- for the preteens, 
there is some, there's some treasure amongst the chairs. Go and have a look. And so the adults had to get up and move. And they, they were trying to find them. Eventually, one of them had to look under the underside and saw, oh, there's a chocolate coin. They started to pull them off. And uh, they got all the chocolate coins. And one of the, and there were about 11 coins, but there were more kids than there were coins. And one of the coin, kids looked a bit disconsolate, like they hadn't got a chocolate coin. And I said, I'm really sorry you didn't get one. And one of the other kids who got a coin, um, said, oh, you can have mine. And he gave this big chocolate coin to this other kid. And the whole congregation went, oh, like, wow. You know, it's really quite something for a 10-year-old to give away chocolate. Yeah, uh, <coughs> yeah and in fact, he gave it to a kid. <laughs> and he gave it to a kid he didn't even know. Like, it wasn't like one of his friends. He was actually a visitor to church that day. He'd never been before. Uh, and it, was, it touched everybody's heart. There's something about that giving away and giving generously and giving wholeheartedly that is really beautiful and special. And I think this is some, some of what's going on, on here. So um, the sacrifice is noticed by Jesus. He notices it inspires him, I think, to comment on it. The wealthy gave out of their abundance. They had much left over. She gave all she had. That's real sacrifice. Um, she was money poor. Some of us, are, I, I know, it, I'm sure life is a bit tight financially, but I would suggest that particularly we often feel time poor. And that might be even a better equivalent for our lives, giving tiny amounts of time to God. A tiny prayer, a micro prayer, a micro bit of time just to text somebody phone someone up, just a small amount of time, because it's a huge sacrifice, might be more valuable to God than if you could give a whole day or a week or a lot of money. There are different ways we use our possessions. Our time is in our possession as well. So I think we'd be wise to think about how we use that money to inspire Jesus or our time to inspire Jesus. Her trust was not in money, her trust was in God. Now, with that in mind, with that picture of the widow and that thought about that, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the, the broader biblical picture. Now, I've written some more about this because we don't have time to cover it all today. So I've written um, an article, um, is it five pages long or something, I forget. I will email them around to the whole church. If you don't get one from me, let me know. Perhaps I don't have the right email address. And that, is, that covers what I want to talk about now in more detail, and, uh, and it's something for us to think and pray about. So the reason I want to talk about this today is partly because of the passage that just, this was the passage, the next passage in Luke we came to, and it seems like an appropriate time to talk about money and possessions uh, connected with that. But secondly, because also I got a, a financial, the leadership team got a financial report from Paul Rowden, who's the administrator for the London Church, which he sends regularly financial updates for the London Church and, and for us so we know how we're doing. And it, it, I, I noticed that our contribution is considerably less than it was last year. We made pledges at the beginning, near the beginning of last year, as you remember. And the giving has tailed off quite significantly since then. And so I thought, well, maybe we should be thinking about how we're using our money. And I want to make it clear, and this is very important, that the reason I'm talking about this and this issue is not 
because I know that we're not giving enough or sacrificially, because I don't know how much anybody gives, except myself. Um, so it's not about that, and it's not about saying we ought to be giving more to the church funds. I think it would be helpful if we did, but it's, that's not my point. The point is more, maybe this is a good opportunity for us just to think about how we are using our resources. So, with that in mind, I want to talk about four ways the Bible, four things the Bible talks about, about the way we use our resources. The first is the local church. We're talking about the local church, the mission, the poor and the needy, and our families. The local church. Could someone read Luke 8, 1 to 3 for me, please? We're going to dip around, do a bit of Bible study here today. Luke 8, 1 to 3. Per practical local ministry. Luke 8, verses 1 <coughs> to 3. Thank you, Dan. After this, Jesus travelled about one town to one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So I just want to draw a principle from that, that Jesus and his disciples were being supported and helped by other people who helped by, by providing money so they could do their ministry. Seems to me that's the kind of principle that we have here. We're a local church, we, we look after ourselves, we try to do that, um, and we support this local ministry. Uh, there are other passages which are in my uh, handout which you can look at later, one other passage in particular. It seems right that we take responsibility for our own situation, rather than depend upon somebody else. Currently, we are being subsidised by the wider London church. The giving that we're giving here isn't covering our costs. Um, no one in London is complaining, I just want to make that clear. No one's rung me up and said, what's going on? You know, you need to, all need to repent or something. Uh, I've not had any communication like that. But I just wanted to bring it to us as a family, this is a family chat, really, about our finances, and say, I think it is good for us to take responsibility for our own situation and not rely upon being subsidised by people elsewhere. Glad as they may be to do that, uh, the longer term vision for what we hope to achieve will depend upon us being self-supporting as time goes by. Preferably as we grow and as we spread, that's what we would, I'm sure, like to see. So it's healthy to look after our own situation. We're funding not a church, we're funding a vision. And I think that's the important thing to think about. Why did the women support Jesus and his disciples? Because they bought into the vision that Jesus had. They were excited about what he was bringing and doing and teaching. We have that same sense of a vision about what God is doing and can do through us in Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire and wherever we live. Then what we're doing when we give to the local church is we are participating in a vision. And I pray and hope we'll think about it that way. So the first thing is local church. The second thing is the mission, the wider mission beyond. Could someone read Philippians 4, verse 16? For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Okay. So he's writing to the Philippians, and he's thanking them for sending him help with his ministry to the Thessalonians. So another place, another situation. 
So we have an example in, in more than one, but there's an example in the New Testament of one church helping missionary work being done somewhere else. And we do that. We've just been taking a collection for the missionary work in India as well as other places, right? And we do that every year. I think it's good for us who can to make a contribution to world evangelism and the rest of the UK and Ireland. Um, and again, I think it's a vision. It's a vision thing. I've been very privileged to go to India and see the work going on there. Uh, I feel very lucky to have done that. Uh, but of course, a lot of us have family in, in places around the world, but also in the UK, aunts and uncles and people elsewhere. If we want to see thriving churches near where they live, then giving to missions is one way to do that. Of course, praying is the other. We can all pray, and I think we can probably... At this point, the video recording on Sunday cut out. So I'm just going to add in now the points that were missed at the end, because I think giving the bigger, broader picture of what the Bible teaches about how to use our money and possessions is so important. So the point at which the video stopped was the point where I was talking about the wider mission and how we can contribute to that. I mentioned India. I certainly feel privileged to have traveled and seen the effect of missions money sending people and helping support churches in these other countries where, of course, financially things are more challenging than they are for us in the UK, at least generally so. One story I would like to relate to you is that the previous Friday I had been at a church meeting where a new Christian who just become a Christian in China was visiting. He's a two-week-old Christian from somewhere in East China. Uh, he wasn't, uh, it wouldn't be wise for him to tell us where he was from because there uh, the Christians have to worship effectively underground. I appreciate his courage and I appreciate how difficult it must have been for him to become a Christian, but it also reminded me of the fact that the fact that there are churches there is at least in part because people in other countries have funded the, the starting up of those churches and we still have that privilege today. In particular, the churches in the United Kingdom help our sister churches in the Indian subcontinent and I want to encourage us to continue to do that because um, it's a privilege. It's a privilege and we may never meet those people of course in this life but we will meet those people in the next and I'm looking forward to hearing them say thank you. Thank you for praying for us and thank you for sending that money that meant that I and my friends could be saved. So that's an important thing. The third area of the way that what the Bible teaches, New Testament teaches about how to use our money and possessions wisely is to help the poor and the needy. Bear with me as I turn to the right passage in Romans here. It's Romans 15 we're looking at here. Paul writes to the Romans and he says this, Romans 15 verses 25 and 26. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So Paul is talking about his journey to Jerusalem to help the Judean Christians who'd been through a time of famine. Other churches have contributed to help their brothers and sisters in need. What a great opportunity. We have the opportunity to help other people according to their needs. Acts chapter 4 demonstrates a similar idea, verses 32 to 37. Please look that up for yourself. We are able to help people, other Christians who are less 
uh, in greater need than our own. And that starts in the local congregation and even in our small church in Watford. I know that we've been able to help one another from time to time with money, possessions, lending things to one another, and time as well. But it goes beyond that, of course, because Jesus wanted to help everybody that was marginalized and in need in this world and demonstrate God's love to them. And so again, we have that opportunity to help other charities or people around us like our neighbors who are really needy. And we can use our time, our money and our possessions for that. Many of us help contribute towards hope worldwide. It's very important to us and we do that. In Watford, we've been helping with the Watford Food Bank, collecting money, being there uh, in Tesco and other places to help with that. Personally, I help with a local charity called uh, New Hope, which uh, the members you will know about my work there. And, I, uh, and I, I'm sure that New Hope would appreciate my money, but they need my time more because the people there in the community home need the time. So I share about that in other places. So we can use our money and the possessions to help the local church, the wider mission, the poor and needy. And the fourth area, really close to home, is our own family. 1 Timothy 5. Let's have it, let's turn over there and talk about the needs of our own family, our flesh and blood. The Bible tells us uh, we have a great responsibility towards those that God has put into us, into our families, the families that we are part of. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says this: Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are some strong words right there. Provide for their relatives. So, of course, the culture in those days, no NHS, no social services in, in, compared to our country, and no benefits, a very different uh, culture, very si different situation, but the principles still must apply today. And so it's important to help our relatives when they have need and when we're able to help them. It's a privilege to help. And I know many of our members here, many of you have given to people locally that are members of your family and further abroad like uh, Africa and other places. And that's a good thing to do. It doesn't mean, of course, that we should always give to all of our relatives who ask because it may just be a want rather than a need. And that's where prayer and discernment are very important. But when our families are in need, absolutely we have a, an imperative, spiritual imperative, to help them out. So four areas for use of our money and possessions and in whatever our possessions are, including our time, the local church, the poor and the needy, the wider mission, and our physical families. Now, as we think about that, I'd like to ask us to, to read and to pray, to read through the article, to pray through these issues, to discuss it, and to think about our own use of our money and possessions and time. In conclusion, I'd like us to look at some principles from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul writes about some principles of giving that I think are worth reminding ourselves of. So 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is in the context of giving, and so that's the first principle is generosity. Christians should be generous people. Our God is very generous to us, has been in material terms and in spiritual terms. So we are those who are called to imitate God. So therefore we are ourselves generous. There's no such thing. There should never be any such thing as a stingy Christian. We're generous people. 
Not foolish, but generous, faithfully inspired by our trust in God. Then verse 7 in the same passage, a second principle. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the second principle is voluntary giving. Generosity and voluntary giving. Our giving is therefore not based on our feelings, actually. Uh, it's inspired by God's grace, giving from the heart. And the third principle here in verse 12 in the same passage, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Meeting a need. The third principle, meeting a need. We give generously, we give voluntarily, and we give to meet a need, not just into thin air. We actually believe and hope that what we give will help other people, like it talks about in this passage. So our giving is not random and not dutiful, but connected to a vision. The vision for local ministry, the vision to help our family, the vision to help the poor and needy, the vision to help the wider mission. This is, this is what it's all about. And if we don't have that vision, and of course our giving may not be generous, may not be sacrificial, but perhaps the key thing is to recapture the vision first. So please pray and be honest with yourself and God. Uh, Jesus did see what people gave. That doesn't mean he's inspecting exactly like some kind of tax inspector, but it does he does notice, and it is meaningful to him what we give. He sees the little we do and the little that we give, and it does count as a lot, according to that passage in Luke 21. No one is too poor to give. Even if all you can give is two small copper coins, like the widow, it matters, and it's more than anybody else is giving, if that's from your heart. The issue is not the amount, but participation. The widow's gift would not have been missed by the temple, but it was. it would have been missed by God. She gained even if the temple did not. So let's inspire Jesus like the widow did with our trust in God and in the way that we use our money. So my challenge to the congregation is to take some time this week, this week, read the article I've written. If you don't get it via email, ask me and I'll send it to you, malcolm.cox, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. And uh, read it, pray over it, discuss it, look at the scriptures. If you've got any questions, please let me know. I'd be happy to answer them. And then... Uh, let's review the way that we've been using our money and our possessions to the glory of God. Let's review if they're the most, be best, most beneficial way to bless God, to help other people, and for the advancement of God's kingdom. I hope this has been helpful. Sorry about the recording needing to be this, have this extra bit. Take care, and God bless.